Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, it's uh, good to see you again, brother, this morning. And um, yeah, we have a really interesting and exciting topic. I don't think we have done anything um, so far on the topic of revival. And so uh, anyone obviously listening to the message will instantly think, oh, this is going to be a podcast about something that's going on right at the moment. We might talk a little bit about that, um, that incident, but... Um, really, we, we want to talk about what, what are the remarks, uh, what, what are the marks of revival? How can you recognize a true revival? What does revival even mean? And, and I think that's something that needs to really be defined because depending on your church background, your upbringing, yeah. um, you, you may be accustomed to hearing that word and it meaning something very different than uh, the believer sitting across uh, the the table from you. Um, so let, let's start right there. When when someone says revival, uh, as a pastor, Eki, what should we be thinking of? Yeah, and that's exactly where we need to start. If you've been listening to enough of our podcast episodes, you know that words matter, terms matter, and how we define those words matter. And when I think of revival, um, to me and you know people in our church will pray for revival across the nation and stuff like that and when i see the word being used in that kind of context in my mind i'm thinking mass salvation of unbelievers um so large numbers of people coming to christ coming to know christ um i think historically about for instance the great awakening uh when men like george whitfield and and jonathan wesley and uh, jonathan edwards uh, were, were preaching all up and down the the eastern side of the united states and and people were just coming to faith on the proclamation of the gospel so when i hear revival i'm i'm hearing people coming to salvation now i i think the charismatic movement can kind of confuse this because there's a lot of people that believe in kind of a, a second baptism of the spirit where the first baptism is is really, um, or a second filling of the spirit, where the the first time is really you're you're being saved, and the second time you're really being awakened and becoming more fervent uh, in your in your faith. So some people might define that as okay. Well, it could also refer to people who are saved, but maybe they're feeling a little bit lethargic in their faith, and and now they're being revived to to, to greater zeal, and 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 that really, in my experience, has been mostly emotionalism. And and it's also bad theology because the Bible doesn't describe a second baptism of the Spirit. It doesn't tell us that uh, that you know you can lose the Spirit and you need to be filled again. You know, when we think of Ephesians five eighteen that says, uh, "Do not get drunk with wine; that is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit." And and I would probably better translate that as be filled. Uh, well, rather than be filled with the Spirit, be filled uh, by the Spirit. Um, we always we have the Spirit. You can't get any more of the Spirit. You can't get any less of the Spirit once you're saved. And to be filled by the Spirit is allow the Spirit to fill you with God's Word to to lead you according to God's uh, God's wisdom. So I, I don't think that there's any place in the Scriptures that would uh, support what a lot of people have turned this into, where there's a second baptism or a second filling or some second stage of um, of sanctification that that occurs. So to, to put it generally um, and to define this probably more loosely than most people would like, 
I would simply just describe revival as uh, as a massive number of unbelievers coming to faith. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 my definition would be very similar, slightly different. Um and, and you know, I I don't even want to say the word nuance because I say I hate that word so much. <laughs> Um, but it, yeah, if you look up the definition of revival, you'll find something to the effect of being renewed or awakened. Um, and, and I, I think, I think there is an appropriateness to, um, saying that we can be revived as believers in the sense that we regain our fervor. You, you think of Christ's message yeah. to the church, calling them back to their first love yeah, and, the and, and maybe in some sense, yeah. Yeah, in some sense, that's a type of revival. But you're right. If we're thinking about it biblically, what we always see is really mass conversions. Um, and, yeah. and and so I, I would I would even be wanting to look for maybe a different term if that weren't a part of what's happening. So I, I think it's very possible in a local congregation or even in the church um, for believers to be struck by God's word in such a way um, that the spirit is working and calls them back to fervency in their faith. So that could be a type of quote unquote revival, right? Um, But I think the markers and the indications of if God's doing the work, you'll find in, in, in both places, right? Um, Outside of their just being conversions um, because sometimes it's not always, always it's not always you can't always just look at supposed conversions. Uh, you've got to yeah. look at things behind that, and, and we know that just from I mean, look at Charles Finney, um, for instance. You know, there yeah, were mass right. numbers of supposed conversions, but the the fruits were not anything similar to what we saw in Jonathan Edwards, right? Um, and so and those I, things I think, matter. I think that's. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and let's let's acknowledge this. Uh, I don't believe the word revival even shows up in the Bible. Um, you can argue that it's described, but um, but the word itself doesn't doesn't show up. There there's no revival meetings that you see in the Bible. What you see is the proclamation of God's word, and then within the church, what you see is, is the preaching and teaching of God's word. Um, so so where did that term come from? And and I think you're you're hitting the nail right on the head because when we think about the first great awakening. Um, this wasn't this wasn't men saying, "Hey, we're going to have a revival meeting. Come and and be awakened by the Lord." These were just men that were proclaiming the word to people that needed to hear it. And then the second great awakening, I think what you saw, uh, what we saw, is a lot of men trying to reduplicate or try to re- replicate the uh, what was happening in the first great awakening. The thing was that the first great awakening was never planned. Uh, it just came as a result of faithful preaching and, and proclamation of the gospel and and God's word. And in the second great awakening, I, I think you saw methods starting to come into play where people were trying to uh, recreate uh, the circumstances that would lead to such uh, such massive numbers of, of conversion. And so when we look at the great awakening, it was about conversions. Um, the, these were people that would uh, that be crying out for repentance, confessing their sins, coming to faith, um, coming to know the, the true Christ. And so the second great awakening um, was also a focus up upon conversions. But as you mentioned, Charles Finney, and and he had basically his methods where I believe the Big Tent Revival, if it didn't start with him, he was a big part of that uh, initial movement. 
where a number of people would come and and essentially he wouldn't allow them to leave until they gave their life to the Lord and then he can come out and say this many people gave their life to to Christ today. Um, so it was really kind of a manufactured setting rather than an organic work of of the Holy Spirit. So when I think of revival, I think that's where the term started to take shape. It's it's from the what was observed of the first great awakening and then what was attempted to be replicated into the second great awakening and what has been kind of a, a big marker of i would say evangelism uh, ev sorry evangelicalism not evangelism and when i say evangelicalism uh the evangelical movement really started in the 1900s and it was kind of a third way uh, a third group that was established to kind of center themselves in between the christian fundamentalists and the christian liberals um the fundamentalists uh, they believed what the bible said they they were also very legalistic about many things, but they were very firm in terms of understanding the Bible to be inerrant and sufficient and authoritative. And you had these liberals that would deny the miracles and whatnot. And, and there'd be a break of fellowship between those two groups. So you had evangelicals that came in to try to bridge that gap. But what became known of evangelicalism also were the big tent revival meetings. So you know about people like uh, Billy Graham, and I'm not saying that people were not saved uh, through his, uh, you know, through his revival, uh, his revivals that we'd have. I, I met several people who came to know uh, know salvation through the preaching of God's word, but um, but that became a very popular thing where he would go from town to town, place to place, and you just have these revival meetings. Greg Laurie does a lot of this too, the Harvest Crusades and stuff like that. So I, I think that's where the concept, when we think about where it started, I, I think it's historically in America, it's it's really from the first to the second Great Awakening that really le lends itself to to what we see today. Yeah, and I, I think it, it's really interesting. You, you've got about, I don't know, it was maybe 60 or 70 years between the first and the second. Um, so so the first awakening was sometime just before the mid-1700s, uh, 1730, 1740, some, somewhere around there. And, and it's interesting because, I, I mean, you, you, you've said it well, the, the first great awakening, and I think this is where we start to see some of the markers, right? And, and Jonathan Edwards he yeah. even talks about some of these himself, himself, but we should ask the question, what started all of that, right? right? And we don't call it the first great mm -hmm. revival, by the way. It's the first great awakening. And it's because people were awakened yeah. right from death into spiritual life. And and right. so that's going to be one of the the, the key markers. It, it's not about a, a bunch of Christians, you know, laying all over the floor, quote unquote, soaking up Jesus, um, or or even just having an emotional experience. That's not uh that that's not revival. It's not what we uh what what we see historically, it's not what we see biblically, but what started it. It, with Jonathan Edwards was his preaching. And I think it's extraordinarily important to ask the question, well, what yeah. was he preaching? Right? Well, what was the subject mm -hmm. matter? What was the content? And a lot of our listeners will probably be well familiar with Jonathan Edwards. Uh, if, if you're not, you should be. Um, go order some books. It, he, he preached uh, Christ crucified. His sermons were about the reality of hell and the reality of heaven were about mm -hmm. sin and repentance, very heavily so. Um, and, and it's interesting, people often just hear the title, you know, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, and they think, oh, you know, it's hellfire brimstone. Well, it's not at all what Jonathan Edwards was about. I mean, he had a, a deep love and affection for 
Christ that extended to the people that would hear his preaching. He wanted people to genuinely be saved and to come to the the cross um, and to see the glory of Christ. And so that was, but that was his preaching. It was sin. It was Christ focused, um, you, you know, preaching about sin, preaching about repentance. That's what God used to start the great awakening, the, the first great awakening. That's important. Yeah, yeah, and and that's biblical as well. I mean, when you look at the Bible, and and really, when I think about um, massive awakenings, well, started on the day of Pentecost, right, with Peter preaching uh, to Jews who had not put their faith into Christ. And when you look at what uh, what Peter is proclaiming and how he ends that message, he he tells them uh, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty six. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. So it was very clear the content of his message was about Jesus Christ, was about his death on the cross. Um, but also it was calling for repentance because right after he says that, verse 37, now when they heard this, this is talking about the Jews who were listening. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Well, they were pierced to the heart. Well, who does that? Well, Jesus told the disciples in, in the book of John that the work of the Holy Spirit was to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So the content was very clear. This was about people's need for repentance, forgiveness of sins, to be able to put their faith into Jesus Christ in order to have eternal life. And I think a lot of times when you see what is being proclaimed as a revival meeting, this is absent, that um, this is missing. Or when you see churches that are growing in, in large numbers, and I think of, for instance, the Hillsong Church Movement. And I, and I have to go back to Hillsong because I always think of Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort, uh, I, I discovered, uh, actually started at Hillsong. He started Hillsong and he learned that 90% of the people that were coming to faith were actually just leaving the church, abandoning the church completely. And upon researching the reasons why, he realized that his gospel was was lacking. His gospel was not biblical. And that's what led to his way of the master ministries, where if you watch him, um, he, he's very good about uh, convicting people of their sin and their need to, need to have their sins forgiven uh, and only through Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I, I would say here, I mean, we've gone to the book of Acts and, I, and I, I brought up Jonathan Edwards first so that we could then see that really what Jonathan Edwards was doing is what we see in scripture. And, yeah. and so it, he was just following the biblical pattern. And Jonathan Edwards wasn't trying to start any kind of mass anything. Uh, he was right. just faithfully preaching God's word, calling sinners to repent, traveling, um, it, you know, things were obviously different back then. And so oftentimes they would go from town to town, city to city. The gospel hadn't been to a lot of the places right. that they were they were in. And, and so that's quite different today um, where guys will hop around from city to city where, you know, in the West anyway, we're sort of gospel inundated in some ways. Um we might argue that the, the gospel has been confused with something else uh, often, but but it's still around very much different than in Edward's day. But then you go back to the book of Acts, which you talked about. And and I would see this is where I would say this is where I, I we would find 
what I would consider the very first mark of true revival, it would be that it start with the preaching of the word. And I would argue very heavily for this. Um, I, I don't think there's anywhere in scripture where you see what we would kind of consider revival, where there was not the preaching of the word first. Um, and, and so, and I think that's important because today, oftentimes, um, you know, and just going back to my own kind of background many years ago, uh, over a decade in the charismatic church, oftentimes, quote unquote, revivals would happen um, with just, quote unquote, worship nights, right? There was no preaching yeah. at all. It was just right. music. Um, and, and if we're very honest, it was very fleshly, man-centered music. Right. It was all about what God does for me and what I can get out of God. Um, and, and then people would just stay and linger. And every now and then, you know, when people wouldn't go home, they would call it revival. But it couldn't be. Um, if for no other reason, right. the, the word of God was absent. And so I think that's the first question. Uh, the, the first mark is the preaching of the word. Now, this might be a really good place to start talking about this very briefly. Uh, th there's you know, what some people are calling revival going on right now uh, at a particular university. Um, and and there was a message preached, right? Um, but let's just talk about that. We both listened to the message, and I think there's a lot of chatter about yeah. the content and what it is and, and what it isn't. What what was your take on, on that message preached? Yeah, so it was about um, roughly a 26, 27-minute <clears throat> message. And, uh, and and I listened to it, and in defense of the one who was speaking, um, there was nothing heretical. Uh, th th it wasn't it wasn't a, a Pentecostal message. It wasn't um, it wasn't pushing the you know kind of the supernatural gifts. I, I didn't hear any emphasis upon social justice. Um, just about everything I heard from him, um, it was a very application driven message. He wasn't really in the text. He, so he was in Romans twelve, but he wasn't really expositing Romans twelve. I, he was putting up a lot of examples of what it means to love one another. And and I think a lot of his examples, um, the principles were biblical. I mean, he he, he was putting it out there. Now, <clears throat> what uh, what he didn't do, at least not in that message, and I can't speak for what happens afterwards because others have said afterwards um, there were things that were said. But um, in his message, there there wasn't a gospel presentation. Um, in fact, he um, what I got out of his conclusion, he he did have kind of a gospel call, but it was a very light gospel call. But and and it wasn't, in my opinion, a very good one. He said something to the effect of, um, you know, you need to experience the the love of God to become the love of God. Um, which that part, um, I, I know people have kind of accused of being kind of emotionalism, but overall, his message, I didn't think it was emotionally manipulative. He wasn't trying to get, uh, you know, trying to trying to manipulate people mentally or anything like that. So, so it, the message itself, um, again, no no major objections, but yeah, there, there wasn't a clear gospel call. Maybe there was after that. Um, but yeah, it was it was just a very short message, uh, very, um, very focused upon love and how we fall short and how we need God's love first. That, that's what I saw. Yeah, and, and I think my take is very similar. I, I would just label as kind of rather anemic. Um, I, I didn't hear anything you know, necessarily heretical. And I mean, you can dig down and parse through, but I, I think then you're kind of getting in the weeds and looking for things that yeah. might not be there. Um, and, and yeah, very application driven. And, you know, if, if he was trying to manipulate emotions, he's not very good at it. I also didn't get right. the sense that that's right. the case. Um, 
well, which and, is and a so good thing. I, I mean, but that, that's, that's yeah. speaking in his defense. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think some charity there just in terms of if you were evaluating this sermon. Um, but I do think it's very important, um, y- you know, at least if we're just looking at that part to, to recognize that there was not any clear gospel call. Right. Right. Um, there was no right. clear call to repentance. There was really not anything that would bring the weight of sin to the audience. And and that's something that we see everywhere in scripture. Um, now, again, we, you know, we don't know what happened after that recorded message. And so we can't speak to what we don't know. Um, but just in terms of this, that would be outside of of every example we have in scripture. Um, right. I don't think right. any, I don't know right. how any unbeliever could walk away from that sermon thinking, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I, I don't right. know how they could connect those dots without having a, a Christian worldview already. Um, you know, and, now, and so preaching uh, also, the word, I think, yeah, go for it. Yeah. And then, and also, um, more in his defense, I, it was a chapel message. Um, it, it's, it's a Christian university now how faithful they are that's neither here nor there it's it's a it's a christian university the assumption is that most of these students have grown up in in christian environments they're coming to hear a chapel message and his scope may not have been necessarily evangelistic so it's not like he um, he was seeking out to be evangelistic and he failed um I, I think he was just trying to bring bring the the bible into the hearts of the people that that were listening now, for it to become a revival, and, and uh, it's been many, many hours, uh, I, I think several uh, 50, 60 hours, people have continued to be in there and, and singing songs and worshiping and whatnot. Um, but for, for that to happen, either we're saying that these students were not believers and they've come to faith, or maybe they've been awakened in their faith and now they're coming together and, and just worshiping God continuously. And, and to that, again, um, by our definition of revival, when we look at the Bible, we're talking about conversion uh, of sinners. That's the way it was uh, with the Great Awakening and even the attempt uh, in the Second Great Awakening with, with all of those efforts. So if you want to talk about maybe a rededication or people are, are coming back and recognizing their need to, to worship or, or something like that, um, yeah, maybe a different word would be better. Um, so it, even then, it's unclear. Are people getting saved, or are we saying that Christians are are just being lifted up in their spirit and, and recognizing their need to um, rededicate themselves to their first love? If if we're to apply the uh, letter to the church at Ephesus from Jesus in the Book of Revelation, yeah, and, and I think there are some signs of that as well, and and I I believe they're going to be very common. You're going to find things that are exactly the same. So, one marker revival, the preaching of the word. I think the second is that the message is centered around a call to repentance. Um, uh, in, in includes an understanding of sin, right? Um, even for believers to sort of be revived in their spirit, if we just want to use that language. Um, yeah. There has to be a renewed sense of both our sinfulness and because of our sinfulness, our need for Christ. Um, so yeah. in, in both groups of people, that that just has to be there. If you look at the letter to the church of Ephesus, I mean, it God is pointing out where they've fallen short and is calling them back to what? To, to faithfulness. Right. Uh, in, in himself. And when God says, back to your first love, we understand he's he's using his own definition of love. 
Um, and, and remember, Jesus says, "You, if, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And so we're yeah, talking right. about coming back to an obedient Christian life. And so if we were looking at what's going on in whatever gets called revival, right, because these things happen from time to time, uh, if we're predominantly talking about believers, then one of the marks is are people being called back to obedience in their yeah. Christian faith. Um, and one easy mark of that is, are, are the churches full the next Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are, are people committing themselves to the local church? Because this, I can promise you, um, God is never doing anything that is going to uh, pull people away from the local church because the local church is God's design for the body yeah. of Christ. And so if that isn't happening, then whatever it is, it's not revival. Um, it Whatever it is, you know, it could be a lot, a lot, a lot of things. But um, if people aren't having this sense of, you know, what we need to be faith, we we need to get uh, plugged into the church. We need to be faithful, um, or at least having the sense of, I, I need to find a place where I can be in God's word regularly under the preaching and teaching. Yeah. But that brings them back to the local church. I think that has to be an element. Otherwise, we, we I, I don't think it's a move of God because that would be. That would be contrary to what we see in Scripture. Yeah, and even you're right. Even that letter to the church at Ephesus from from Jesus that that was essentially a call to repent and return back to their first love. And so, even for those who are already believers, for them to be renewed and, and awakened uh, would be to repent of um, whatever it is that they have allowed to become an obstacle um, in their walk. And you're right also that if this is a true work of the Spirit, it should lead to um, greater liveliness in the local churches. And of course, someone may be listening to say, and say, well, you two are pastors, of course you're going to say that. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So our conversion um, happened with the work of the Holy Spirit, baptizing us into the body of Christ. And in that same chapter earlier on, we read this, starting in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And he goes on to say, for for to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, so the gifts of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives to us is actually for um, the building up of the body of Christ. And when you get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the word for building up or edification shows up over and over and over and over again. It is it is Paul's emphasis upon why the Spirit is there. And then, of course, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus gave to the church, some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers— for what purpose? Verse 12 says, for the building up uh, of the saints, for the equipping of the saints to the building up of the body of Christ, um, you know, for the work of ministry. So I, I kind of butchered the order there, but but it, the whole purpose of the church and the gifted people given to the church is so that saints would be equipped to do the work of ministry with the effect of building up or with the result or, or purpose of building up the body of Christ. So all of that is connected. And if people are truly being revived, um, then what we will see is growth in churches. We'll see strengthening of churches. Uh, we, we will see greater service uh, within those churches, greater devotion to God, greater devotion to his word, more evangelism, right? So yeah. all those things yeah. are a necessary byproduct because I've been preaching through John chapters 14, 15, and 16, and I just completed uh, chapter 16 um, a couple of Sundays ago. And it, it is very clear as Jesus 
is with his disciples, starting from the upper room um, after after they had to, had the Passover meal. Um, his focus to them is to be ready to do the work that Jesus Christ began, which is to share Christ with the world, knowing that you're going to be hated, but also trusting in God that you have the power of the Spirit behind you to help bring about uh, God's will and purpose. So it's all connected. Um, the it, Whether you're talking about unbelievers coming to faith or whether you're talking about believers who have maybe been in the doldrums but need to repent and, and be renewed in their zeal for the faith, um, it all points towards the same thing, which is really a strengthening of the body of Christ, which is the church. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the the, the fruit, but that I, I think that second mark we've been talking about is is the message of repentance, right? Um, and, and I would say the 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 third mark, if the first is preaching of the word, the second is a message of repentance. The third, I would say, is a response, right, uh, to, to the sin, yeah. uh, actual repentance. And let's just jump to the message to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. Uh, I mean, just two verses, four and five. I mean, listen, this is right. God speaking to the church. Uh, but I, I I mean, the whole Bible is God speaking to us. Right. Um, but if you're a red letter fanatic, first, you should repent. Mm-hmm. But second, you can listen. It says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Yeah. Repent. And do not do the deed. Oh, sorry. And do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent twice. Right there. And, and so, if the message of repentance is absent, I, I cannot be convinced that it's a genuine move of God. Um, yeah. And 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 then we get into the responses, right? Um, the 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 responses. And we've mentioned, um, yeah, the, the the response of repentance. And so, if you're looking around, uh, what we're calling a revival, do you hear predominant talk of repentance from sin, um, turning from sinful ways, changing of the desire rather to change lifestyle? Voices yeah. and habits. Right. Yeah, it takes time to prove whether people do, but is that the language being used? And it, you know, the 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 thing that's happening currently, um, I haven't heard a whole lot of that from what I've seen. Yeah, listen to news reports, uh, you know, of of uh, young ladies speaking about right. it, and mostly in those instances, what I've heard is um, the it being linked to how long people have been there. Um, the term worship has been used, but it seems it's just been centered around music. That That's not worship. Yeah, uh, music right. certainly is a part of worship, but that is not worship. And and so if, if those are what's defining this thing that's happening, whenever it is, whether it's the one going on now or one in the future, if what's defining it seems to be how long songs are going on and how long people are singing those songs, um, you know, how long the quote unquote service has been going on. If that's what's defining it, it's it's not it's not revival, right? Um what you right. want to hear and see whether people can express it well or not are things that have to do with, you know, I, I've been confronted with just how much I need Christ, uh, how much I need to I need Christ to deal with my sin, how much I'm a sinner. Um, you know, those types of things in in various forms and in various ways that people could talk about that 
they might not be able to adequately put a finger on um, describe that as well as maybe you know you are or, or one of our listeners could, but you want to hear that kind of desperation of the reality that set in that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. Um, and and you want to hear that and that response if that seems to be largely absent. Um, and, and I think that's important. You know, Eki, I was thinking about this this morning because every now and then people will find that one person or that, you know, or a couple people that do have that sense and they and they'll say, see, it's legitimate. Well, here's the problem. God in his sovereignty um, will use any means he chooses. And so there are times where people have come to Christ because they heard a drunkard on the street corner. I mean, you can find those stories. No. Um, I think Samuel say, I, I read a, a no. post um, who he came to know the Lord through a, a woman preacher. Um, and, and which, by the way, I, you don't get any clearer sign of God's judgment in a place than a woman preacher. She's in open defiance to the living God. And yet God in his graciousness and in his sovereignty can use even... Um, people who are doing things in defiance of him uh, to bring someone to the gospel. That that doesn't mean right. he's approving of that thing. So it doesn't validate the for, methods. Yeah. It doesn't validate the methods. And so what you want to find are not just those one or two people, but is the thing happening characterized by people becoming aware of their sin in some form or fashion. Thoughts add to that, Icky? Yeah, I think what you're describing is exactly what we're looking for. So th this is not to say that we're going to, um, you know, we're going to downplay or invalidate anything that's being called a revival, but rather uh, we're we're listening and and we're observing and we're looking for these kinds of signs, which uh, which I think are biblical, uh, and and that has been proven even through church history, as we've mentioned the Great Awakening. So we're we're just looking for these signs. We're looking for repentance. We're looking for people that have a uh, renewed uh, devotion to God, as seen through uh, their devotion to His Word, their devotion to the church, the the growth of churches, uh, personal holiness as as they repent. And and if there is um, one criticism I, I would give to the initial message that kind of sparked this all, um, I, I feel like and and again it was a short message and it was very application driven, and and so he's making very. Um, he's making statements that are not very deep, so he may not have intended this the way I kind of received it, but he almost seemed to downplay um, the obedience that we're called to. Mm -hmm. As he pointed to a number of commands in Romans 12, he said, wow, th this is a tough list of commands, isn't it? And he said, well, actually, it's impossible to obey them. And he said, the Pharisees tried to do oh, that, true. the Sadducees tried to do that. And that was the moment where I kind of cringed, but I said, well, did they really try to do that or were they were they creating their own righteous standard? Um, which I, that's a rhetorical question because Jesus accused them of basically elevating um, the wisdom of man to to the word of God. So we have to remember just in Romans 12, Paul is writing to people who are saved and he's not giving them commands with the intent of them saying, wow, these are impossible to 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 live out. He's giving them commands that he's confident that they can live out, that they can follow. And uh, and so that that would be my my one criticism of that message, and and he may not have intended it that way. It was just a few brief statements, and he kind of moved on and, and closed the message. Um, but to to your point, um, really a, a renewal, if we're calling it a renewal of people who are already in the faith, but now they're renewing their zeal for the Lord. Um, it should it should come with repentance that that leads to the kind of obedience, not the obedience that says. 
we can't follow these commands, but the obedience that says, no, Jesus Christ walked this way. He has given us his spirit, and, and we've been empowered to, to walk after him as his disciples. Are we going to obey them perfectly? And maybe that's the point of the original message. No, we're not going to obey it perfectly, but those commands are there for us to follow. And as you have reminded us, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think, you know, another marker, so we've got preach the preaching of the word, a message of repentance, a response to sin. I think another is that it's focused on that the glory of God and holiness is a focus, right? And we've kind of been talking about this. I, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones says about revival, in fact, it's in his book, Revival. Um, he says, a revival always humbles men, bases them casts yeah. them to the floor, makes them feel they can do nothing, fills them with a sense of reverence and of godly fear. Um, and, and that has to be a marker. If, you know, if you're talking about the holy God of the universe in, in a way that he has done at times, moving through his people by the way of the Holy Spirit, if that's what's happening, then the response to that you know, kind of unique presence of God or move of God has to be similar to what how we see people respond in Scripture when yeah. they were confronted with um, maybe even a more tangible presence of God. And it was always men fell to their face; they felt the weight of their um, uh, of their humanity against the glory of God, and and that means it would be, you know, uh, it. it it's not this kind of chaotic rolling around the floor, screeching and screaming. Um, it, it's reverential postures. And I say it that way yeah. because all men fell to their face, right? Um, and that yeah. may not necessarily look orderly, but it's a right posture. Um, and, and so that, that just has to be part of what's being seen. And, and then I would say the fourth would be that it's not inundated with heresy, unbiblical teaching, or unbiblical responses. Right. Um, so yeah. if it's characterized by a lot of things you might see in the Pentecostal charismatic church, it's not revival. Um, if you can characterize it. So, you yeah. know, people running around supposedly speaking in tongues, right, which is just gibberish, speaking in gibberish, calling it tongues. Um, if there are um, a, a plethora of un, unsubstantiatable healings, you know, supposed healings. Um, you know, those types of things that really, they make a mockery of the true work of the Holy Spirit. If that can characterize um, the thing, then it, it's not a work of God. And and I, I say characterize specifically because I think we have to be discerning enough to realize that even true works of God will draw people who will do those things. Um, and it, I, I don't think you can attribute um those few people or a handful of people who may be engaging in those kinds of unbiblical things uh to the whole you, you know the whole thing right. but if you're right. looking and you can characterize the whole yeah. event as right. that then i think we can know it's not god because even jonathan edwards dealt with some of those type of things in his own yes um mm -hmm. sermons right people who are very prone to emotionalism and they're working themselves up that's not god um so if it's a few people you know, it is what it is, but if you can characterize the thing by that, then I, I don't I don't think it's God. And then the last yeah, one, and, and then I'll let you jump in, Eki. Yep. The last one I would just say that if it doesn't lead to unbelievers coming to Christ, I don't think it's a work of God. 
because the, yeah. the goal of the church is never wholly an inward focus. And so right. if you don't at some stage quickly start hearing and seeing of unbelievers coming to Christ, I don't think that it's we can call it a, a move of God. Jump in there. Not inundated with heresy or unbiblical teaching and come believe unbelievers coming to Christ. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with those marks. Um, you know, God is not going to and when you think about the um the explosion of the church in the book of Acts. Um, there was heresy that would follow close behind, but what did the apostles do? They went back and they fought it, right? They they fought against it. And we have letters to show that, letters like the book of Galatians, uh, second Corinthians. You know, we we have uh, we have evidences of of how they would handle that. The whole thing at the uh, Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter fifteen uh, was to fight against that. Um, so it's not to say that there won't be attacks, and we've already seen some reports of certain people that we would call heretics um, planning on being there, um, where where this uh, revival is taking place, or at least what they're calling a revival. And and just their presence by themselves doesn't tell me anything, but. If they're being welcomed and, and it starts to turn into the kind of thing that you would normally see at their their services, then I'd be concerned. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, I'm going to go back to Jonathan Edwards for a moment, because when we think about what was happening with the Great Awakening, there were, uh, within the Presbyterian uh, denomination, there were what, what was called old lights and new lights. And there was these um, older, more established people within the denomination that were looking with great suspicion at what was happening with the Great Awakening. Um, because of the emotional reaction. So they saw the emotional reaction as proof that this was not of God. Well, the emotional reaction is neither proof uh, for or against. It's really what's driving it. And I, and I believe that's uh, that's where Jonathan Edwards would end up defending himself. And at that time, the major university was Yale. And, and this it's a fascinating, you know, kind of alternate story that's happening here. But, you know, the, the whole start of Princeton University was because Yale started to go to go off off course, and Jonathan Edwards was a big part of the the uh, the start and the founding of uh, Princeton University. But uh, but yeah, we we had these similar kind of debates back then, and it's very easy for people to today to say, oh well, um, modern day revival movements, um, you conservatives are are being just like those old lights during the Great Great Awakening. Well. Not necessarily, because it's not the emotional reaction that um, I'm averse to. It's really what is leading to that emotional reaction. And to your point, what is the outcome? Uh, what What are the fruits of this movement? Are unbelievers coming to true faith? Um, are, are Is the strength getting... Uh, getting strengthened? Are we seeing repentance? Are we seeing a devotion to the things uh, which are good? Those are all the things that we're looking for. You know, the fact that they're they're together for a massive number of hours and, and doing a lot of singing, that that's nice. Um, but we're we're looking for the other um the other signs that make it a true what that would make it what we would call it a true work of the spirit in, in doing this kind of revival. That's what we're looking for. And and you know here's the thing. And and this is where kind of red flags go on in my head when when it's mostly just about singing, um, because singing can be very emotional. You know, there's um, there's a certain uh, YouTube uh, person that um, he does a lot of great videos. I don't recall his name off the top of my head, um, but he came to a different conclusion about um, the music from Bethel and Hillsong that you and I would, right? So he, he would say, well, as long as you have good lyrics, you can go ahead and sing it, even if you don't support the church. But then in a follow-up video, he went to one of these um, worship sessions where they're just singing they're they're singing songs and he's telling the story and and he's saying that oh it was great we were all in the spirit we were all worshiping god um and then a certain song from bethel came up and uh, he starts singing along until he saw the lyric that said and i open my mouth and miracles happen 
And that stopped him dead in his tracks because he stopped that and he said, wait a second. I can't worship to that because that's not true. Now, to his credit, he's being discerning. So I'm going to give him credit. Yeah. He's being discerning, and, and he stopped singing a song that he knew was unbiblical. But here's what was surprising. He thought to himself, everyone else is going to see this, and, and it's going to just it's just going to wreck the whole mood of worship. And he said he was shocked to look around to find out that he apparently was the only one that stopped. Everyone else kept on singing. No one else saw a problem. And, and this, is, this is the issue. You know, we, we we think we can play around uh, with uh, just you know these these uh, movements that center around emotionalism and and singing songs, even if the lyrics are good. But what happens in a lot of these kinds of events is that people are just being led by emotion, and that's all it is. And and to this guy, he posted the video um, talking about how he had he couldn't sing to that song. He got a lot of negative responses in his comments. People who follow him they were saying there's nothing wrong with that song and this and that and it just shows the, the the total lack of discernment so all that to to just say this if if what we're seeing is really mostly about just worship singing and i say worship i really shouldn't use the word worship worship is a lot more than just singing singing is an expression of worship but if this is really just mostly about singing and uh, and maybe some uh charismatic experiences um you know that's where i'm going to be more skeptical you know the the signs that we're looking for are the signs that you're talking about. What what's the content of the message? Uh, what's the response of the message? The fruit of the message? Are we seeing repentance? Are we seeing unbelievers come to faith? Are are we seeing um, believers uh, devoting themselves to to God and Christ and and doing things that we see in the scriptures? Because ultimately, it has to come back to the scriptures. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know that means if we are not discerning, if we are not being like noble Bereans, he can easily counterfeit um, what uh, what is actually false. You know, I'm, Jesus even said, "Look, there will be many who said I perform many miracles in your name, right? Um, I cast out demons in your name, um, I, I prophesied in your name." Those actions by themselves today would lead many people to believe that that's a work of God. And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And even in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, the book of Deuteronomy um, includes chapters where Moses will say, even if someone gives you a sign or a vision and it comes true, but he ends up leading you to follow mm. after other gods, you are not only to not follow him, but yeah. you're to execute that person, right? So even then, there's there's a recognition that there could be signs and wonders that actually come true. And most people today would say, well, there's a prophet right there. No, the real sign is which god do they lead you to follow? And in yeah. today, the discernment has to be this, the God that they're being led to follow, is this the God of the Bible, or is this a God being made into, made out of from the image of man? Um, because that that's a lot of what's happening, especially, you know, the He Gets Us movement, and we can talk about that another time. But uh, a lot of the secular Christian movements today really seek to create a Jesus after the image of man rather than recognizing we need to be conformed into His image as a part of God's plan. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I get and we've got to have discernment. And I think a lot of times you can see very quickly enough to come to a, a, a biblical conclusion. Um, sometimes it may take a little bit longer. And so I I appreciate, um, you know, people who are a little reserved up front. Um, I think that's OK. That's fine. Um, I, But I think part of that is. You know, in, in our culture, in just the degradation of society, in in the, you know, if you look across at evangelicalism, you know, guys in our camp, 
desperately want genuine revival. We want to see, um, yeah. you know, we want to see what we know to be true. We know that God's right. church is thriving, right? Because nothing hinders God's church. We can forget that mm -hmm. uh, just because of what we see and what we hear, especially if you're on social media because you just see and hear the bad stuff all the time. And so we desperately want to see revival. And I think even for guys in our camp, sometimes sometimes it can cloud our discernment a little. Um, and so I think we can hope things are real um, and, and we can take a step back and sort of look at these kind of markers. Uh, is the word of God being preached? Is it a message of repentance? Are people responding to their sin? Is it focused on the glory of God and holiness? Is it or is it not inundated with heresy and all sorts of unbiblical stuff? And is it leading unbelievers to come to Christ? If these aren't the things that characterize it, I think we can just say it's not God. Um, and we can be sad about that. And I and I don't think um, we need and I think we need to say that. And, and the reason I say that is because when we talk about revival, it, it really is a serious, solemn thing. I. We're talking about, you know, God moving among his people in, in unique ways that he doesn't always do. And we're talking about yeah. being confronted with the holiness of God. And so I don't think, I think we should protect it from being taken lightly. Um, now, on the right. other end, um, I, I think we should, you know, almost contradictory, I think, Revival should be viewed lightly in the sense of it's not better than um, what God does each and every Sunday as we hear the word of God being preached to us. It shouldn't be better than that, right? Um, there are unique times that God does what God wants to do, um, but our bread and butter, so to speak, could be uh, the each and every Lord's Day. And so on one hand, I think we want to protect it from being flippant and casual and and being too afraid to say, no, this is not God. Um, I, I think we need to be able to see enough of the clear signs to say that. And then on the other hand, we don't put so much weight on it that we feel like our Christian life is missing something if we don't have this. Right. You know, if God never, ever yeah. um, does another yeah. thing like he did in the great in the first great awakening you know what amen praise the lord we don't need it and we don't need it because you have god's word we don't need it because we have the local church yeah. we don't need it because god his intention is that you stay renewed refreshed invigorated from uh, week to week uh, just in engaging in the, you know the common graces that he gives us you know, and so I think we you keep all of those things in their proper places. It helps with discernment. Um, and I think the last thing that I, I would say, and we'll let you kind of wrap us up, Eki, is, and I feel like I particularly want to talk about emotions uh, quickly. Um, I do not like uh, emphasis on emotions. Um, anyone who listens to me knows that. However, from someone like me, I think it's important to say, you could never, ever have an awakening or a revival without emotions because you're talking yeah, about right. the most real parts of life, of eternal, of, you know, of um, eternal existence. 
whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell, um, gazing upon the Christ, the, the cross of Christ, considering the total depravity and wickedness of sin and being confronted with a gracious, loving Christ who bore those, the penalty for those sins for you, you can't not have emotions. Um, if there's a true right, awakening. Right. And, and so in our camps, and especially me, I, I have to be cautious of this. Um, we've, we've just got to know that emotions have to be there, uh, should be there if they're God, but they'll be consistent with what we see in Scripture. Yeah, and, and emotions need to be, uh, need to be um, they need to be informed by the truth, right? So our yeah. feelings follow our um, our faith it's not the other way around which is typically what we see today is that people's faith basically follow their their feelings um and you're right you know on the one hand we should desire that we see massive numbers of, of people come to faith but we also should recognize that Jesus told us that the world is going to hate you they're going to persecute you he even told the disciples they're going to there's going to come a day where they're, they're going to kill you thinking they're doing a service for God and, and so what is God accomplishing in that well, God is glorifying his name. Um, read through the letter of First Peter and, and see how Peter handles trials and tribulations. Trials and tribulations are there to purify your faith. And even when people slander you, it glorifies God when they're slandering you because you're actually doing righteous deeds. You know, So all those realities are true, that God is always at work, even if we're not seeing massive numbers of people being converted. If you're at a church where you're seeing people grow, where you're seeing their desire and their love for the word of God growing, where their desire and uh, and their service to the church is increasing, that that's a miraculous work of God through his word, working through his spirit. And and that is um, that that is same kind of work of God that leads to salvation. Now we as a people, no matter whether we're seeing massive conversions or not, we need to be sharing Christ. We need to be sharing the gospel. That is the mark of a Christian. That we not only live in the model of, of Christ as He has provided to us. We not only grow in our knowledge of Christ, but that we also share Christ with an unbelieving world. And whether they respond or not. Um, you glorify God just by doing that. The prophet Jeremiah uh, ministered for close to 50 years, never saw a single person repent. And, and yet his words continue to um, both encourage and convict uh, generation after generation after generation of Christians just by the examples that we see in that letter. Ezekiel was called to be the watchman. Um, and God, God told him, look, if you give the message and they don't repent, then the blood is on their hands. But if you don't give the message yeah. and they don't repent, the blood is on your hands because you didn't share it. So let us be mouthpieces, recognizing that the God is glorified not by the results, because he's the one who's in charge of the results. He is glorified by how we respond to his calls for obedience. Amen and amen. Well, I hope that this has been helpful to, to you guys listening. Um, so you've got six markers of, of arrival. There certainly are more. In fact, maybe I'll just give you one more prayer to make it seven, the perfect number. Um, but anyway, there there are more. Um, yeah. But these things, I think, certainly have to be there, and they must characterize whatever it is going on. And if they don't, I think it's okay to say, this isn't God, um, and hope that it is, and hope that despite that, God will be merciful to some. And, and I know that he will, because he is a merciful God. So 
Hope this has been helpful. We would uh, love to hear testimonies from you. I know a few people have been starting to send those in. Um, email us. Let us know uh, You know how the podcast has been helpful to you. We'd love to just praise God alongside you. If you have any uh, topics you would love to hear us cover, you can send us an email with those. Um, yeah. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.